We still have students that have food insecurities, housing insecurities, technological in insecurities. They may not have access to technology. That's been a big conversation since COVID and quarantine has, has taken on. So um, I think there's open doors for a lot of conversations, I think, and in, in, I've seen that in some of the Facebook forums that I'm in. Uh, and so it's been a good conversation, I think, for a lot of good to go forward and moving forward. And I think there is gonna be a lot of changes that take place and some of them are gonna be easy and, I don't, and some of them are gonna be a little bit difficult to handle. But I think there's a lot that we can still accomplish um, coming out of this uh, in the, some of the realities that we still have um, technological-wise. This episode of Beyond Aporia originated in the Howenstein Center's webcast, Lunch and Learn with Gleaves, available at www.gvsu.edu slash hc. Welcome to the Howenstein Center's live online program, Lunch and Learn. I'm your host, Gleaves Whitney. In today's webcast, I continue to press the question I asked last Thursday. Are America's young adults despairing over the events of the last few months, especially since Memorial Day? We seem to be living in a winter-like spring, unlike any other in living memory. To find a guide to help us with this question, I sought out Nate Swanson. Nate recently earned his master's from a Grand Valley State University program called College Student Affairs Leadership. Also, he just graduated from our Peter C. Cook Leadership Academy, and Nate joins me to discuss his magnificent obsession with leadership and to reflect on the challenge of leading students through higher education in the current crisis. My conversation with Nate will go 25 or 30 minutes or so, followed by questions from our viewers. Feel free to begin sending your questions to us right away using your Zoom toolbar to do so. Thanks so much, Nate, for being my guest on today's live Lunch and Learn. You're welcome. Well, first, uh, congratulations on your recent graduation. This is not exactly the world you expected to start your career in. So I've got to ask you, Nate, do you feel despair or do you feel hope? Uh, I've had moments of both, I would say. Um, it, it's, it's especially hard because I, I didn't come out of my graduation with a position of employment. So that's been kind of uh, weighing on me because my field is higher ed. So with the lockdown and the uh, quarantine and COVID, um, it's just been a hiring freeze throughout the nation. So it's been a little bit difficult. Um, I'm proud of what I did and, and accomplished, but at the same time, there's a little bit of the uncertainty um, associated with it as well. Understandable. Well, just to get our conversation started, tell viewers about your background, your family, where you grew up, and then, mm -hmm. you know, Grand Valley, your program here at Grand Valley. So I am originally from Grand Rapids. I've been born and raised here my entire life. Um, my academic journey actually started at, up the road at Grand Rapids Community College. Uh, I got my associate's degree in 2013 from there, and I transferred to Central Michigan University and got my bachelor's degree in 2017. Uh, I'm, I'm a first-generation and non-traditional student, so I'm a little bit older. Uh, I, I was an addict for uh, about a dozen years, or about 10 years and I've been in uh, sobriety for a dozen years. Um, so it's been an interesting journey through there. Uh, I'm the oldest student or oldest child in my family to uh, um, go to school. I got my degree. I'm the only one in my immediate family that has any kind of uh, red. Uh, that's been pretty interesting, and pretty cool. Uh, and like you said, I just graduated with a master's degree uh, in April. 
it's really terrific. And I think one of the, the greatest achievements, of course, is sobriety for the last uh, more than a decade now. Mm -hmm. And uh, if, if you feel willing to, um, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, um, so I was addicted to a number of different things. Um, it started, I, I was abused in uh, a couple different ways when I was a young adult or a, te a teenager, preteen. Um, it started when I was about eight years old and continued on through almost young adulthood. Uh, and so the, the trigger that really got me going into my addiction was the loss of my grandmother. Um, she was like one of my rocks, one of my solid people in my family. Uh, and she was the person I was most closest with. Um, throughout that whole time and losing her was a very traumatic experience because we were together when she began to become ill and I overheard a conversation about um, the process of healing her and taking care of her between my mother and her and it was my birthday that we were celebrating she wanted to wait until after my birthday and then she actually ended up collapsing and passing away within a month of that time. So that really struck me and really hit me hard because um, I was only 12. So I wasn't developmentally aware of what was really going on. And I really felt like I was responsible. So losing her really sent me on a, a dark spiral for uh, a, a number of years. Uh, and then when I was in just out of high school, I decided to go in the military. And that was the first time I kind of had some sobriety. And um, I went to the Marine Corps and I ended up getting medically disabled, uh, discharged from the Marine Corps uh, for having mono and pneumonia while I was in basic training. I didn't complete my training, didn't complete anything. And that really sent me on another dark spiral because I really didn't have any other plan or any other journey set in place other than going in the military. So um, that set me on the last spiral toward sobriety when I finally ended up getting trouble and being able to turn my life around. Uh, and that was the trigger 12 years ago that really helped me get my life back on track. What a terrific story. Let me ask you the Bob Quinn question. You know, I, I like to ask this question. Bob came over from the University of Michigan and he went us, gave us the um, skills to go through some workshops uh, through his technique of connecting with people. And uh, I guess I'd like to ask you the question he likes to ask people. What makes you a special and unique human being? Um, that's an interesting question. I know when we spoke earlier, you had actually brought that up and I've never really considered um, what makes me a special or unique individual. Um, I try to, whenever I'm dealing with people and talking with people, try to make the conversation as meaningful and useful for them as well. Um, so I think that's something that is uh, not often done. Um, by people. Um, I am a pretty humble person. I, I, life has been interesting and it's, it's not been an easy journey, but I still keep putting forward and pushing forward and I have a lot of hope um, for the future. Um, so it's a very interesting question to ask. Um, what makes me a special or unique individual? I don't really see myself as that special or unique. I'm just trying to be who I am and, and be real with people uh, and be authentic and that's just who I am. And that's got to play into one of your great strengths as an emerging leader, Nate. I mean, you've, you have chosen to be vulnerable with people and to say that failure is okay. It's not the end of the world if you fail. You, you find people around you and you 
dig deep inside yourself mm -hmm. to be able to pick yourself up by the bootstraps, and you've done that. In one of our first conversations, we were having lunch over at Bull's Head, and you were telling me, so you know, you went to community college, then you went over to Central, and you had a really good leadership experience at Central. So yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that and how you grew in that period. Yeah, so um, it, it, it segues actually starts at uh, CC here. Um, I had always told advisors that I wanted to go into getting my master's degree. I was studying psychology, so I knew that I had to go to transfer. And never once did they, you know, recommend any extracurricular activities. Never once did they recommend me to participate with the TRIO program, which is a program designed for students that are planning on transferring. And when I went to get my graduation audit from the community college, I ended up connecting with the TRIO coordinator. And she was telling me about, you know, there's a need for you to have to have, you know, internship experience, research experience, extracurricular activities uh, on your resume to prepare you for graduate school. And I, I didn't know about any of that sort of stuff. So when I had the opportunity to transfer to Central, uh, one of my tours there, I learned that they had a leadership program. They are uh, advocate leadership and leadership institute. Um, that does uh, both cohort learning and curricular learning for all students that are on campus. Um, they have a leadership minor and they have a, a experience that students can participate in called the Leadership Safari. So I jumped headfirst into, into participating with all of that and through that I ended up being an honor student participating with the honors program and advanced a lot of my personal experience in preparing me to be a professional uh, through those involvements, it, and it was amazing. I, I would not be the same person that I am today had I not actually been able to participate in those programs at Central. So I'm very grateful for the program that they have and the way that it's set up uh, at Central. This leadership safari that you talk about. Well, so then once you get your bachelor's degree, why did you choose to come to Grand Valley as the next step of your education? Uh, so uh, I actually applied to a couple different student affairs programs and, and got accepted to the uh, study side, but I didn't find myself getting the assistantships to help pay for it. And I told myself I would not do my master's program until I could get something that would compensate uh, uh, more on the financial side, because that's quite a burden to, to participate. So I actually ended up taking a gap year. Uh, and reapplied and was reaccepted into the Grand Valley program. And in this turn, I ended up getting an assistantship with the uh, admissions program in the College of Community and Public Service, uh, which is actually downtown where the Houndstein Center is. It's the third floor instead of the fifth floor. Um, and so that was the real big reason that really motivated me to choose Grand Valley because of the two programs that I had been accepted to the second go around, I only got one assistantship offer. So it made it really easy to decide where to go. That's terrific. And I, I remember you so well on the third floor, I'd be walking down your second floor. I'd, I guess it was well, one of those floors. And um, I remember so many times you'd say hi. And I think mm -hmm. I knew you before I knew you, if you know what I mean, you know, and then mm -hmm. eventually you came into the Leadership Academy, which we're going to get to in a minute. But you got really involved on campus once you yeah. arrived here. Tell us about some of the things you did. and This will help also inspire students who actually are thinking about going to college. The idea is a little bit scary. What did you do? So I actually participated in our student organization for our um, master's cohort. I was in the CSAL 
program, which is College Student Affairs and Leadership. And with that, we actually have a student, uh, a graduate student organization that uh, gets together and does different things throughout the semester. And then I also got elected to be the communications officer for the entire graduate student association. So I represented the entire graduate student across the entire campus throughout the eight colleges. Um, I, and I served in that capacity for a year, uh, just finished that with my graduation, of course. And then I wanted to become a participant in the Cook Leadership Academy. Um, I actually learned about that through volunteering for uh, facilitating the FILE's undergraduate program. So that's their uh, first year leadership experience that Grand Valley offers to incoming students and transfer students. So I um, applied and was accepted into the program for that. And that, I'm very grateful for the time that I was with that. And I was also a King Chavez Cook, uh, King Chavez um, future faculty fellow as well. So um, I was awarded a grant for that. So that was pretty cool. That really is cool. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm curious, you felt a lot about higher education. You want to dedicate your life to leadership in higher education, helping students. This coronavirus with the social distancing and enforced isolation has given all of us an opportunity to think about our work in higher education. I'm curious, how has this period that we've been going through changed your perception of higher education and what higher education is going to be like on the other side and your role in that? I think um, it, it, the the nice thing about it is it has forced institutions to uh, very quickly reassess how they uh, model different things, uh, and, which is a change in pace for most institutions. Most institutions take a while to do institute large-scale changes like this, and we had to do it in a couple weeks. And I think it, it, it actually showcases what our institutions are of doing and supporting our students. Um, I think there's a, a there's still a long way to go for some of our students. Um, I was talking with Allie earlier about, you know, we still have students that have food insecurities, housing insecurities, technological in insecurities. They may not have access to technology. That's been a big conversation since COVID and quarantine has, has taken on. So um, I think there's open doors for a lot of conversations. I think in, in and I've seen that in some of the Facebook forums that I'm in. Uh, and, and so it's been a good conversation, I think, for a lot of good to go forward and moving forward. And I think there is going to be a lot of changes that take place. And some of them are going to be easy and, I don't, and some of them are going to be a little bit difficult to handle. But I think there's a lot that we can still accomplish um, coming out of this uh, in the, some of the modalities that we still have um, technological wise. And let me ask you the same question about leadership, how your perception of leadership has changed. I mean, so much has rocked our nation. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, we've had the impeachment of a president. We had the coronavirus pandemic. We had the social isolation and distancing. Uh, then, you know, we had, of course, the, the murder of, of a black man on a Minneapolis street, followed by a lot of intense protests. Black Lives Matter has had a much bigger forum to make their case you know, what they're about. Through all of this, Nate, how has your perception of leadership changed by all the things that have happened, say, since February? So my perception of leadership hasn't changed. Um, what I think has changed within me is uh, the motivation to ensure that we're continuing to include students in the conversation. I've always been a proponent for that. 
I think that's the mo one of the most important things that institutions can do is include their students in the conversation for anything that they're going to be doing. Um, it, it's not the president has the decision and that's the final say. The president has that decision because the students are attending that institution. And when we have students of color and, and, and other students that are impacted by any of these things that have been going on, we need to be ensuring that we are uh, providing measures that make them feel secure and make them feel like they're being heard. Um, and I know that that doesn't always have uh, uh, and hasn't always been the case that those students are feeling heard, um, whether they're part of the LGBTQ community, mental health awareness, students of color. There's a lot of conversations that we still need to have and still need to work on. And I think that's where leadership comes in and and, and from even everyday student affairs professionals, it doesn't have to be the executive level, um, but starting to have those conversations and, and really consider what is best for our students, um, not just from a financial standpoint, but from making sure that they feel like they're being connected. Do you think we're living in a revolutionary time? I think it has to be a revolutionary time and I think it might be a time for higher ed to have a revolution. I don't know about on a grand scheme. Uh, talking from my field, I think it's a, it's a perfect time to be a revolution uh, and and have a change of thinking. Um, there's there's a lot to be said that you know institutions have had a white focus for a long time, and that does need to be changed. That does need to be filtered and, and fixed. Um, and I think there there's no time like the present to really be starting to work on that. You know, it's funny, I was in a, a professional call earlier this morning in which I pointed out, we were talking about uh, previous eras. So, for example, when I was starting out in college back in the mid-70s, you know, it was a, it was very much a multi-ethnic country, but now we're a multicultural country. And the changes are enormous as a result of that. They may not sound like much of a change, but it's been enormous change. And our institutions have had to change as a result and our leadership style, especially the, the need to be more, oh, participatory, you know, uh, creating more of a participatory democracy has been demanded by, you know, women, people of color. So there seem to be so many changes afoot. And I, I think these last weeks, um, every, you know, again, the, the, the whole list, not to go through all of them, but the, the economic downturn has also, I think, caused a lot of people to think about the systems in which we live and what's needed for us to thrive, to go back to the founders, you know, what makes a people happy? Our founders asked that very important question 230 years ago. Um, they, they, they worried, for example, Article 3 of the Northwest Ordinance, they worried about the happiness of Americans. I think we're finally getting to some of those questions that had been, you know, sort of buried for a while. Um, let me ask you, Nate, clearly you've got a lot of dreams, you have ambition, you've got now certification and training. What are you gonna do with it all? What, what would be your life's capstone experience or achievement? The equivalent of Nate Swanson, you know, uh, winning the, the quarterbacking the Super Bowl team or being the pitcher on the winning World Series team. What, what do you wanna do? Um, ideally, my dream job would be running like a leadership institute that like what Central Michigan actually has in place or any type of leadership programming. Um, one of my uh, interest areas is also career services. 
independent director or, or um, upper level um, administrator for career services would be outstanding. I think my end goal would be being a um, vice president or um, whatever the equivalent is at an institution for the student affairs director. Um, but right now, like my, my goal and my dream and one of my passions is to work with students that are in leadership capacities. So um, one of the easiest ways that I've seen to work in that capacity is working through uh, career services, because that's the easiest way to get students and talk to them about being involved on campus and um, being passionate and finding their things that they're really find important to them as students. Uh, and pursuing them so that they are better prepared to be better employees when they get to the graduate level uh, and post-graduation and whether they go on to graduate school or they go on to employment. Um, there's a lot of stuff that carries over from being those extracurricular activities um, and, and having those passions and really pushing yourself to be the best you that you can be. Um, and so that's one of my passions, just being a conduit to be able to connect students to what is of interest and for them and helping to prepare them for the next steps post um, their collegiate careers. Yeah, this is terrific. You know, Henry Adams, who is the scion of some of the Adams family, you know, he had a relative who was president, a relative, uh, two relatives who were president, and people who were ambassadors. I mean, very, very interesting guy. Henry Adams got to observe American life close up firsthand, and he thought about the ways that we change the trajectory of humanity. And one of them, of course, is biological. You know, we actually change the DNA a little bit when we have kids. Second, though, is teaching those kids. You know, you, you never know how you're going to impact a child's life, a young person's life when you're teaching them. It's such a noble vocation. You actually change a little bit the trajectory of humanity when you are able to teach a young person and get her, him to see something they hadn't seen before, possibilities and uh, beauty, uh, appreciation for pursuing the truth, goodness, sacred spaces, there are all kinds of wonderful things that await uh, to be discovered in our children's minds. And the teachers have a, a wonderful role in that. So I think it's, um, and of course, the third way, I mean, I, I always add this, a third way, touches on what you just said, Nate. It's how do we make the institutions that we're involved with stronger? Because if those institutions have a, a life after yours and go, those institutions go on to improve lives, that's also changing the trajectory. And higher education has, of course, always traditionally been positioned to do exactly that kind of work. So um, I think you're, you're right in the middle of a lot of different ways to uh, change the trajectory. And of course, you know this question's coming. How did our Howenstein Center's Cook Leadership Academy help you travel the road you're on? Um, I think in a, in a nutshell, it was the culminating piece to help me polish up who I wanted to be as a professional. Um, through the, all the different activities that we participated in the, um, with Matt and, um, I can't even think of his, the other one's name right now. But uh, having all of them come and have those conversations with us, it was really, really insightful. Um, I know when we had our table groups and we had our different groups, so there were 60 of us or 50 of us, give or take, each time. And we sat at tables and we had assigned tables. And the conversations that we had in some of those tables were very thought-provoking and very um, 
inspiring to, to, to help drive us and, and finish us. And I know a lot of, I was lucky. I think I, most of my table were actually planning a graduate, whether they were from undergraduate or graduate programs. So it was kind of interesting to have those similarities, uh, even though we weren't all in the same program, um, we were all going into the same graduate experience because COVID was starting and quarantine and a lot of the, the chaos that was starting, we were already having conversations about in our groups and so it was interesting to see that and kind of be reminded that we're not alone um, so I am grateful for the you know year that I was in the program and all of the different opportunities that I had um, the one time that I was able to share my story um, I, I tell you how many times people have come up to me and thanked me for that uh, which I was not expecting nor anticipating uh, uh, having that experience and it was a very nerve-wracking experience for me, but uh, I think one of the best and gr growing experiences that I've ever had. Excuse me, sorry about that. Uh, well, it was a very powerful experience. I felt very privileged to be there when you told your story. Of course, you and I had talked about some of those things in our private conversations, but it's different when you're getting up in front of your peers and your mentors and that kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think you were, and continue to be a very inspiring figure because of that, Nate. You're so authentic and real. Uh, how about mentorship? How important is mentorship on this entire process? Um, I think you can't be successful without having mentors. Um, the, there have been people that have come into my life and at the most important points in my life, uh, and it could be just random people. A mentor doesn't have to be you know, a lifelong, long-term relationship can be a one and done type of experience. And I attribute that to the, the conversation I had with the um, trio coordinator at the community college. If I had never had that one conversation, I would not probably be in this situation or this position uh, that I'm in currently um, because I would not have gone to my transfer school and gotten as engaged and gotten as involved as I had. And that alone trickled into so many relationships that I had with key individuals along the way um, and it was a one-time con one conversation, and then that burgeoned into, you know, three long-term conversations and relationships that I've had with individuals for the last six years. Uh, um, and then even the Cook Leadership Academy provided me the opportunity to connect with a mentor in my field, in leadership industry, and so that's been outstanding, and um, I, I continue to have conversations with him. Um, he's at the University of Michigan, so it, it's, it's crucial. You cannot... You, you might have success without mentors, but you will not have the success that you could have if you don't have those mentors. Uh, and I really truly believe that like mentors make, can make or break your experience in life. It's so true. And, and learning is a community thing. Mm -hmm. it's, Very much so. It, and it was something, again, I referred to the founders. It's because I'm, I'm writing right now a paper on the Northwest ordinance. So I'm filled with some of the thoughts but again, that Article 3, when they're talking about the happiness of humankind and the necessity for education to, to help people see what their happiness can be, they add that schools will forever be encouraged, schools, because they recognize that learning takes place in community. It was really a brilliant insight. And of course, where was the township, you know, in the old township range? The, the township that had the schoolhouse or was dedicated fiscally to the schoolhouse was at the very center 
of each of these townships that settled Michigan. So, you know, a lot of our conversation is about the community of learning. So I, I so appreciate what you're saying. Now, we've got viewers, Nate, who are queuing up to ask questions. So I think we ought to bring them into our conversation. We've got some sure. great questions lined up here. One viewer asks, was there a moment in your career, your educational journey, when it was clear that entering the field of higher education was the right path for you? Thank you for that question. Um, yeah, actually there was. So originally, um, I was a psychology major. So that's what my bachelor's degree is in. And I was originally going into uh, more of the counseling industry and working with students and working with people who had mental health issues or substance abuse issues, whether they were in varying stages of recovery. Um, and then I, I transitioned um, through that the experiences that I had at Central really brought to my attention that students are the, the kind of people that I want to work with um, because of the fact that so many different students have such a variety of experiences. We have students that have mental health issues. We have students that have substance abuse issues. We have students that are first generation and have no idea where they're going and what they're doing. Uh, and that was what my experience was. And I, I quickly discovered that I wanted to be somebody who worked in a position that I could pay it forward. Um, I had those individuals that came into my life and really kind of pointed me in a direction that I didn't realize I was going. Um, and so it, it, it's kind of always been in the back of my mind that student affairs was where it was going to be, but it wasn't an aha moment until probably my junior year at Central when I was like, wow, this actually is a field that I could work in uh, and, and find uh, quite a bit of happiness and, and um, gratitude from. Uh, just being able to help those students put their next forward and, and realize that they're not alone because I think that's so happen so frequently happens to our students is um, they, they don't realize that they're not the only one going through some of the experiences that they have uh, and being able to be just that person that says hey yeah you know sometimes it gets hard sometimes you know we have setbacks we have failures we have missteps and it's just a matter of defining where you want to be and what you want to do uh, and so that's really what got me into wanting to be in student affairs was being able to help those students find the light at the end of the tunnel. Well, you mentioned failures and missteps, and that segues right into the next question. A viewer asks, how would you explain the importance of failure in the development of young leaders? Great question. Thank you. Um, I, I want to I quantify this. Um, failure is important when it can be controlled. Um, I've had experiences where my failure was just overblown and, and through my addiction and because I was trapped in my own mind, I kept perpetuating failure. Um, but I think one of the nice things about being in school and being in the education field, it's, it's kind of designed to be that kind of controlled chaos where a student can make some steps forward and make some steps backwards and, and really be able to have the support system uh, set in place through their, you know, their instructors, through their peers, through their mentors, through the student organizations that they're involved in, to really be able to assess what happened, where the missteps were, who was responsible, and how they can then change that and turn that around and make something new come out of that. Um, whether they were responsible or somebody else was responsible, I think that's a really good um, critical thought and, and critical reflection. Uh, ability and I think institutions of higher ed have an 
awesome opportunity to provide that kind of controlled chaos environment for students to learn how to critically think. And, and that's a very important tool that will serve them well in the future. I love your term, controlled chaos. But you're right, education has a lot of that. And teachers and the community of learners should be able to handle that so that it's a constructive experience. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Another viewer asks, who do you look up to as an ethical, effective, strong leader? It's a good question. That is a very good question. Um, well, not to, not to um, sugarcoat anything, I believe this is actually one of my uh, role models that I've kind of come to appreciate. Uh, we've always had great conversations. Um, he's always had a welcoming heart. Um, so that's been a really awesome experience for me the last two years. Uh, it was kind of a relationship that I just kind of walked into. Uh, and that, that has been some of the most meaningful relationships that I've actually had. Um, some of the people that I look up to the most um, have just have happened that way. And to see the authenticity and the genuineness within those individuals, I think that's the biggest thing that draws me to people and, and want to be like certain individuals is just those individuals who are willing to say, you know, hey, this is what life has been like for me. And this is how, you know, I've made my peace with it. And that's been a really encouraging uh, component to the people that I look up, uh, yourself included. Well, you're making me blush, but I've got to say, Nate, turn it back on you. You know, you have those personality traits and character traits that attract mentors to you because you come across as authentic, you're real, you do have the right kind of ambition and the right amount. Both of those are important. You want to make the world better in a concrete way, not in some vague way, but you really want to change the lives of human beings for the better. And that's such a beautiful quality to have. So those qualities, you, you will always be the kind of person who will attract mentors to you, as well as students who are going to want to understand the path you've chosen. And they will want, you know, they will want to, to think about life in the way you think about it. I mean, that's, it's just compelling people do that. So you, you certainly have that. You're, you're at the beginning of a, of a long influence, I think. We have another uh, question that sort of gets back to this authenticity here. A viewer asks, well, first of all, states, thank you for opening up about your addiction, and then asks, how does that part of you affect your leadership style? Good question. Um, I think the biggest thing is it's, it's taught me that vulnerability should not be looked at as a weakness. Um, there were a lot, a lot of years where I was not comfortable talking about um, that past um, for a number of reasons. Primarily, I was not proud of it, uh, quite ashamed of, of that kind of period of my life. But one of the things that I have learned over the years is um, when you're willing to be vulnerable and willing to be just who you are, uh, that opens the door for conversation. And a lot of people become more comfortable having conversations with you when they know that they can relate to you. Uh, and so as stressful as being vulnerable is, um, I think it's one of the most productive tools that I've, I've acquired uh, in my repertoire. And I wouldn't have had that, I don't think, had I not had that experience of being an addict and, and having to go through the recovery process and uh, having the ups and downs that are associated with that. 
so yeah, um, it has greatly impacted the style of leadership that I tried to advocate for. Very good. Another viewer asks, what advice would you give an incoming freshman at GVSU? Get involved. Um, find something that you're passionate for. There's a lot of student organizations, 400 different student organizations that you can get involved in. Find faculty that you can have a conversation with. I think that's the, the scariest thing that some of our students have is like, what is these office hours? And I can actually talk to my, my professor and, and, and have conversations with them. Um, might be an expert in their field, but they're also an expert in their field. So it's a, it's a great opportunity for you to have those kinds of conversations. And um, if it's a field that you're interested in going into, have a conversation with them about it. You don't have to talk about classroom material in their office. Just go in and, and, and engage with them. And I think that will, uh, will set them up for a lot of success in the future is those two things. is getting involved in campus in some capacity and, and, and be willing to have conversations with at least a few of your instructors along the way. Um, you'll go great distances by doing both of those things. That's great. You're absolutely right. I mean, professors love it and during office hours when people come in and yes, you go over the material, that's ostensibly what binds you, but they're human beings too, and they want to know their students better because often mm -hmm. there's, there's that spark. I mean, professors feed off that spark from those really bright students who are intellectually curious, want to make a difference. So it, it does go both ways. In fact, I always tell students, as you know, we mentors always know and teachers always know, often we get more out of the relationship than you all do. You all just don't know it. <laughs> so anyway, Nate, is there anything else? you'd like to mention that we haven't covered? No, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to share uh, with the followers uh, my story. So that's been really cool. Well, you have a great story to tell. And thank you, Nate Swanson, for being my guest on today's live Lunch and Learn. Viewers can see why we at the Hallenstein Center have so enjoyed working with you in our Cook Leadership Academy. And we really anticipate great things in your future and want to stay in touch. And I'd invite those who tuned in to Fill out the brief survey and let us know what you thought of today's program with Nate. I also invite you to zoom in or join us on Facebook at the same time Thursday, June 13th, for our next Lunch and Learn, a live webcast featuring Ken James, who is the Director of Inclusion at the Grand Rapids Chamber of Commerce. Ken will join me to discuss the intersection of Black Lives Matter with our business communities. He will dive into racial inequalities within our nation the current unrest and protests sparked by the murder of George Floyd, and the impact and response that we are seeing here in our Grand Rapids community. Tell your friends and colleagues about us. So till, Tuesday, till Thursday, stay tuned to all our Houndstein Center offerings and stay well. Beyond Aporia is a podcast brought to you by the Houndstein Center for Presidential Studies at Grand Valley State University. The director of the Hauenstein Center and producer of this podcast is Gleaves Whitney. The theme music was composed by Andrew Whitney. The Hauenstein Center is inspired by Ralph W. Hauenstein's legacy of leadership and service. Our programs address many of the pressing issues that Americans face. To learn more about the Hauenstein Center, please visit us at www.gvsu.edu hc. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening. This is Gleaves Whitney.